I'm Zoraida Cordova, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Sure. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast, and I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and with me is my co-pilot. Well, good morning. It's Drew. How are you? How are you, Drew? How are you today? I am well. Yeah? It's it's a little quiet in here, though, today, isn't it? It is. Uh, Lindsay had to take the escape pod off into uh, Scarif. Ah. Uh, apparently, she found some good purchase there. I don't know what's left. Um <laughs> But yeah, so she's on vacation right now and taking the the week off. We actually, <laughs> so funny story. Um, we interviewed Zarata Cordova yesterday, who, by the way, is my new yeah. favorite human being. She is so cool. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I saw the I saw the uh, interview drop in the pod feed. I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah, well, it's it, it's a lot of fun, and she's a super. Like she's a, she's a huge fan, and so it was okay. a lot of fun to talk to her, and she she knows her stuff, and just hearing. Kind of her process of of going through the book was was pretty fun, but um, it, and no spoilers or anything if you haven't read Crash of Fate yet uh, on that episode. But oh, cool! Is that a uh, um, a Galaxy's Edge tie-in? It is novel? a Galaxy's Edge tie-in. Yeah. Have you read it yet? I am in the process of reading it. You're working on so it. So I cool. I am about 112 pages in. Um, okay. And before the interview, I listened to some of the audiobook to get a bigger idea of what's going on, but I'm now past where I was in the audiobook. But ah. it's uh, it's enjoyable, but it was funny because, and Lindsay's going to hate me for, for uh, putting this out there, she forgot that the interview was yesterday. She thought the interview <gasps> was today. So oh, no. I'm furiously texting her going, where are you? Where are you? Because here's the thing, like, Lindsay is the one who put in all the legwork for that episode, so I felt oh, so no. bad. And I'm like, Lindsay. So, we, anyways, one, if only if only they had invented some kind of uh, pocket-sized well, device that's that would the keep thing. track of everything. No, no, no. Here's the thing. She was like, "Oh man, I'm coming. Hold on." And then we couldn't get Skype to work on her phone. Oh no. So luckily, like I said, Zarada Cordova, coolest human being ever. She was like, ah, nah, it's fine, whatever. Like, this is podcasting. It's not a big deal. <laughs> so I was like, all right, now cool. This so, is podcasting. <laughs> this is podcasting. But no, that was a lot of fun uh, doing that. And definitely go give that a listen. But Drew, what have you been Star Warsing lately? Oh boy. Uh, good question. Um, did we talk about I had finished Alphabet Squadron already? I think you mentioned it briefly, but I, I don't think you gave a full okay. review on it. I, I honestly yeah. don't remember if you talked about it on the show or not. I listened to you guys' review of it and the Don't Burn the Sacred Text episode, and I like the guys from Sith Talk. They had a, a great, great contribution. I hope we can get the two of those guys back on um, uh, sometime soon and we can continue to pick their brains. But yeah, Alphabet Squadron I finally finished after like eight weeks of trying to get through it. Um I booked my reservations for Celebration Anaheim, so now I've got a room to stay in. feels really good. I'm really excited about it. All of the realities of preparing for Celebration Anaheim are kind of crashing down around me right now, and it's a bit terrifying. I'm not <laughs> sure how to handle all of this. Well, you have a lot more to like, handle than the rest of us because you're bringing the whole family. 
Yeah, this may have been a colossal mistake. Um, I ended up buying tickets for all five of us to go. So it'll be me, my wife, and three kids, one of whom will be, this is going to be in August, November, three, nine months old. Um, so nine months old, eight years old, and six years old. Um, we're going for two days. We're going for the Friday. Uh, is it Friday, Saturday, or is it? I think, I said, think it's Friday, Saturday. I think it's Friday, Thurs- Saturday. The whole shebang is from Thursday to Sunday, right? Right. Yeah, we got the two exciting days, the Friday and Saturday um, passes. And uh, there is a there is a 95% chance that they do not come with me back on Saturday. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it, like I, but my wife said, we'll definitely go day one. I don't know that I'm going to make it day two. And I was like, hey, I, I get it. It's totally cool. Um, but we're, we're going to tie in a, a Disneyland trip at the same time. So we're going to go to do Disneyland like the Sunday, Monday um, after celebration. So it's going to be it's going to be kind of crazy. I don't know that we're going to hit Galaxy's Edge. That's kind of what, where, where we are landing right now is to say uh, if we can get tickets for that, maybe that'd be fine. But none of us are going to lose any sleep if we can't uh, get tickets to it this year. Yeah, it's just it's too much like. They're like over two hundred bucks a piece. I, I I can't imagine they're not going to be doing the four hour visitation thing. It's just going to be too much of a hassle with a crowd like this. Yeah, and especially because it's going to be so many like hardcore Star Wars fans are going to be trying to go. Yeah. Probably especially on those days, you know, after they've already done the con, and you just, I mean. You're gonna have traffic it's flow problems, lot. and everybody's gonna be looking for every Easter egg. It is. It's gonna be a lot. That's. I mean, part. Of, I mean, the main reason I'm not going to uh, Galaxy's Edge while I'm out there is because Brooke wants to go with me the first time because she wants to see me geek out, which is why I'm <laughs> marrying her. Um, but also, it's like, no, no, not at all. Uh, well, wait a minute, is she not coming to celebration? No, she's going to be starting her her uh, <gasps> job then. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, because flying stag. Okay. Because we we well, she'll take her uh, final exam to get licensed licensed as a dentist. Then I will turn thirty. Then we will get married. Then we will go to Europe and come back. And I'll go back to work. And she'll go back to work. And then I go to California, all wow. in sixty days. So it'll be fun. I may be like a what one of those zombies from uh, what was that book Red Harvest just <laughs> going through. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh no! But yeah, I had forgotten about Red Harvest. So I, I worked really hard to push that one out of my brain. I, I can't let you do that. Dear. So Is that the first one or the second one? That was the second one, wasn't it? Isn't what, the first horror book Death Troopers or something? Um, I believe so. I haven't read Death Troopers, and after Red Harvest, I, I probably won't. Um, <laughs> but, it wasn't bad. Well, it wasn't good, but it was. It's definitely not the worst that the old canon had to offer us. But I'm it's, not its target <laughs> audience either. I don't really like zombies or horror or any of that. Okay, and so it's I'm not just, really sure. I'm not sure it constitutes a horror book. It might be like a dark and and bloody kind of thing, but it's it's not like it's not know, it's not, not like no slasher like 40 film. days of night or whatever. Yeah. It's called. Um, but yeah, so the other big thing with Galaxy's Edge is like, I want to go when there's not going to be a lot of people there, you know, yep. so that I can actually take the time to go around and explore. And I feel like the con's going to take a lot out of me 
to begin yeah, with. So. I kind of agree. I feel like Galaxy's Edge is one of those things you kind of want to go in and, and just quietly observe a lot of things and like really like stare at the walls and kind of pick apart. Like Adriana was sending pictures of like the, the mosaic details in the places and whatnot. That kind of stuff is really neat, but you really can't do that when you're hauling around like children and a wife who's like, it's so dumb here. <laughs> That's fair. Well, and if you read a uh, crash of fate there, you know, cause it takes place at Batu, there's okay. a lot of little, uh, tidbits, you know, that, that connect to the park because the, the park is basically the setting. So like there's one, Oh, interesting. There's one, something outside of doc Ondar's. it's some kind of statue and I'm blinking exactly on what it is, but it's a gravestone for something. Ooh. Uh, so I, like, that's one I'm really excited about there. And I haven't seen anybody talk about this. So I'm hoping it's actually at galaxy's edge and not like right outside of it, but there's a, a wishing tree. Um, where people that's tie, yeah, people tie like ribbons or string or whatever and make a wish on this tree that's been in Batu forever. So I'm hoping like that's there and stuff. There's there's just mm. a lot of things where, you know, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And I could actually experience that. And it's not, the thing about uh, Crash of Fate that it, one of the things I think it does really well, and, and I think Black Spire by Delilah Dawson is going to do this well too, is it's not going to force um, things in. Like they're not like here's the fuzzy tauntaun. You should drink one. Uh, oh, it's okay. It's very natural and, and fits with the story. And uh, Zerata goes more. Oh, look at me on a first name basis. She goes uh, into it a little bit more. <laughs> but basically, like she had a certain process that she went through to make sure that everything felt natural and, and stuff like that. But oh, I'm just geeking nice. out because she was so cool. But yes, I'm very excited about eventually going to Galaxy's Edge and. Maybe one day we can do a Clashing Sabers journey to Galaxy's Edge. That would be a lot of fun. I be. think we should we should try and, and put something like that together, you know, in 15 years when we finally save up enough money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I just want to I want to be able to save up enough money my first time to just go all out. You know, like I want to oh, be able to. Oh, goodness gracious. Not I mean, not all out. The, uh, the $25,000 R2-D2 that they have? Not that all out. Not but, that all out? But I okay. want to be able to, like, try any food I want to and maybe build a droid sure. and make a lightsaber. Like, <laughs> I want to be able to experience it all because there's a very real possibility it might be the last time I'm experiencing it for 18 to 20 years, mm. you know? Well, would it, would it not because they're doing the one in Florida too. Is it not easier for you to get to Florida than it is to California? I mean, it's kind of the same either way. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Um, it might be a little bit easier to get to to Florida just because we can just go straight over the Gulf. But right. then again, it depends on you know the time of the year because hurricanes they'll route you around yeah. and stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, most of us in this little gang of ours live on the eastern half of the country, at least. Well, again, except for Adriana. I'm sorry. You can come, too, though. Hey, you know um, what, though? Adriana gets to go whenever she wants. So yeah, that's a good point. I don't feel so. bad for her flying to Florida, okay? <laughs> I love you, Adriana, but I don't feel bad about asking you to fly, fly to Florida. No. Not really, no. That's okay, though. So we'll get there. Um, I'm we'll get there eventually. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've been kind of I've been Star Warsing into. Um my kids have been bugging me to go let them buy new cards. Like they, they've been collecting Pokemon cards for a while now. And my almost eight year old is kind of outgrowing Pokemon. So he just bought his first packs of Yu-Gi-Oh cards today. I saw which that. Is kind of interesting. 
Yeah, I was kind of excited because I remember when that game came out, you know, 117 years ago. But it got me starting to like search for like the old Star Wars cards that I, I always wanted to collect and never really could back when that game was still in production in the early 2000s. And looking to find like, oh, here's this one card I wanted. And it's 99 cents. Oh, I should order this online. It's like a $10 shipping for one card. <laughs> oh, this is not a smart decision. Let's let's scroll past that. There's another like, you know, a Star Destroyer. It's like, oh, that's $2. I could. Oh, it's $5 shipping. Oh, so it's just like all of these things like coming back when you're a kid, you, you want to be able to collect everything, but you're kind of limited by your circumstances, your resources, where you're located, kind of the market in your area. It's tough when you kind of grow up and you're the only person who's really into this kind of stuff and you can't really find a way to enjoy it with other people. And so when you re-encounter a lot of these things as an adult, when you have the ability to go and kind of fill in those gaps in your collection, it's really hard not to click that buy now button a hundred times a day. It really is. But, I mean, I'm hoping that we can kind of do some of those fun things. The kids are kind of getting into the cards, so eventually I'll open them up to Magic the Gathering, and hopefully that'll open up the Star Wars card game after that. But I don't know. It's kind of been an, an odd thing. I don't want to push them into this obsession. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of want them to develop it naturally and, and as much as they enjoy it, like they, so that they could enjoy it on their own, in their own way, in their own time. Do you know which movie of theirs is the favorite, by the way? Uh... If you had to guess, a five- and seven-year-old, what... What Star Wars movie is their absolute favorite? Keep in mind we have, you know, all of them in five different versions. <laughs> okay, first of all, have you shown them Revenge of the Sith? Not a hundred percent of it. Okay, so um, we've seen the first half because the back half of it is still a little intense. Yeah, and, that would have been my but, go-to just because there's a lot of lightsaber duels and flashy battles. But we're take, gonna try that one soon because my, my again the seven-year-old is very sensitive to things um he's easily freaked out easily terrified by by very mundane non-scary things i feel so you, that whole ending is not gonna go well <laughs> to watch you know, anakin slash vader burn to a crisp it's not gonna go great um i'm gonna go with episode one. Oh, you're you're close you're yeah. close they're the favorite thing that we have to put on the most often for them is the clone wars movie Oh, okay. Not Attack of the Clones. Okay. <laughs> but the Clone Wars movie, that the four ep first episodes of the Clone Wars series that they released in the theaters, that's their favorite one. Um, and I know it's very disappointing to all of us. Um, but the best part about that movie is the scene where Anakin jumps from droid to droid. He's like, you know, oh, yeah, he's yeah. doing the, the Jedi jumps and he stabs him with the lightsaber each time he lands. That's their favorite part. It blew their minds the first <laughs> time they saw that. I was like, guys, this is not a good movie. What are you doing? Um, they loved it. They, they absolutely love it. The, their second favorite one is The Last Jedi. Can't tell you why. <laughs> okay. No idea why they love The Last Both Jedi. Both ends of the spectrum. I know. I think it's the Porgs, honestly. I mean, um, again, I, mean, I feel you, bro. Right? It's, no. it's always the Porgs. Uh, <laughs> because I'm a start. glutton for punishment and I will literally buy, you know, chewed gum that has Ahsoka on it. Uh, I was at Half Price Books the other day in a shock to no one and they had the Clone Wars novelization, the, the movie novelization. So I got that. Oh, no. So I'm going to read that. I don't know oh. what's going to happen. I'm may, so sorry for your loss. I, I, may, I may not make it back. Um, Send a rescue team in after you. No, it's funny because you were talking about like wanting to get stuff from your childhood, and those are the things that I really remember um, 
uh-huh. were the books, you know, um, the the Young Jedi Knight series. I'm trying to collect all of those without buying oh, any online because cool. um, that was my gateway into Star Wars literature. Um, so I've got about how many how, how many of them are there? I think there's about there's a ton. There's like there? 14 or 15. It's oh. it's middle teens. It's not as much as you would think, but it's a lot harder to find them than you would think. Because it's always the same, like, three or four that I find. Like, Lightsabers, Shadow Academy, uh, uh, Shards of Alderaan has been showing up a lot lately. Okay. So, huh. I, yeah. So how many, how many of them do you have? I have about seven or eight. Okay. So, so you're got, not far from I'm it. I'm not far from it. Much. And I'm really, really trying to get them all without buying online. Just for... It gives me a yeah, fun little something that- to... to challenge myself you know yeah that chase kind of you know scratches that adrenaline itch in the back of your brain um but you know when i go of course i look at all the star wars books and i like going back to the the younger reader section um and seeing if there's any you know anything cool in there and just seeing some of the books that i read when i was a kid like i got the um episode one journals do you remember those i think so they had one for like obi-wan uh, they Padme, have one for Anakin, Anakin, Padme, and Darth Maul. Do they have a Darth Maul one? They did have a Darth Maul. Here's the thing. the what Anakin Darth Maul write in his journal? <laughs> well, the Anakin Today. and Padme ones were like the glossy, nice print pages. And then the Darth Maul one was like just the regular print book. It was just very what? weird. It was just one out of the three. Was But I got Anakin so and strange. Padme. Um I'm probably never going to reread them, but I just want to be able to show my kids like this is what I had when I was. Oh, that's okay. You it's, know, it's, you sit it on your shelf and you're like, I have this thing. Yeah, <laughs> no one can take it from me. And then there's things like um, the Glove of Darth Vader series. Yeah, I remember that one. Oh, I remember being so excited about getting those books when I went to the library. I was like, Oh my god, new Star Wars books! And then I read <laughs> them and. I don't even remember anything about them. I just remember throwing up in my mouth a few times. Like that's oh, great. <laughs> I mean, they're so so bad. There used to be when I was in like middle school, um, there was a, a mail away service you could get, and I can't remember what it's called now. But you got like a book in the mail every month, and it it read kind of like a choose your own adventure book. Oh yeah, yeah. But it came, it, it came with like a a D six. And you would, you would read like three pages and then it would make you roll and depending on what you rolled equaled success or failure and you got to turn to certain pages. And I can't remember what that was called. I think I got it from like the Star Wars Insider subscription and then maybe this was like a an advertisement at some point in there. Does any of that sound familiar to you? I mean, I remember playing one of the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And Do you remember rolling a dice with it? No. I never had no? a D6 growing up. I can tell you that. So. Oh, okay. Well, well that's I wasn't. I, yeah. I mean, I didn't really get into the cards and stuff. So. Yeah, you was, weren't into the gaming side, side of the no. Uh, nonsense? No. And I, in we retrospect, I know. In retrospect, I'm like, I really wish I would have. Um, but You would enjoy like the role playing games that they had. You know, the West End game series was built around D6s, even the D20 system that Wizards of the Coast put out in early 2000s, 2002, 2001. Wizards of the Coast was the group that had that owns Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And so they built a an entire system for Star Wars. And it was so much fun. It, it, we lost a lot of hours of our lives back <laughs> in high school to that. It was great. But it was so perfect. We had such a great time to play in that game. Yeah, I really I want to try like 
something like Destiny or something, but I just don't. I don't have anybody around who really plays, yeah. and I don't want to force Brooke to play, you know, because she already puts up with enough <laughs> of my garbage. Um, so I I need to to try it out. But it's, the thing is, I want to play without having to like invest my own stuff first, you know, and uh, you know, in okay. case I don't like it, and then I'm like, well, I'm too lazy no, to sell so this. That- I guess it'll sit on my shelf. So that Star Wars Armada game, I think, is is like the X-Wing miniature oh, games. Dude, I look Not at those gonna... when we go to the comic book store, and I'm like, I would really like to try that, but... Yeah, it's crazy. Like, the giant Star Destroyers and Mon Calamari Star Cruisers and whatnot for like $200. I don't even know what that costs. I'm, I, I'm too scared to get into that game, because I know as soon as I do, I'm going to have to buy all kinds of things. And <laughs> There's already nowhere to put anything in my house. Like, I have so many boxes of books still in the attic. I'm desperate for bookcases down here. It's yeah, killing me. I, uh, I I have one shelf, uh, and then I have a bookshelf in the. I almost said in the library. That's not where it is. I have a bookshelf <laughs> in my closet, in the study, and in my study, aka my walk-in closet. Yes. And <laughs> I'm get my pipe and my uh, smoking jacket on. Now. <laughs> and I'm kind of running out of room there, so. Yeah, I had to do the same thing, clean it out, because that's where I'm putting all of my Black Series figures um, that I've I've amassed way more than I think I, I should have now, and it's really getting dangerous. <laughs> but they're all kind of just sitting in my closet on a shelf. Um, I got the General Grievous one while I was on vacation. This was a terrible decision. It was fantastic. It's beautiful. <laughs> I adore it. It's the, it's got it's one of those that the packaging is larger than the normal Black Series boxes. Um, and it's him. He's all hunched over with all four arms. He's got his cape and the different lightsabers. And oh, it's so fun to look at. That's awesome. <laughs> my I kids love it. keep threatening to ste- to like s- like sneak into my closet and open them up and play with them. I'm like, no, do not touch. These are not for playing. And they look at me like, but daddy, they're toys. I'm like, that's not important. Okay, they are special, and they're gonna sit on my shelf until I die. And then you can do whatever you want with them after that. <laughs> and oh. then you can play with them ungrateful little boogers as they as they plot your death what can we put in i mean oatmeal? i have cool stuff I, i'd want to steal it from me too but <laughs> speaking of cool stuff we have some cool stuff to talk about in oh do you know do, what, we? <laughs> do, do you know what do you know where we're going i have no idea where you're going but, L- but please lead it lead us on ladies and gentlemen cue the intro music happy beats here buddy come on <laughs> I'm with the droid on this one. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats here. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats. I'm with the droid Happy on this beats one, here, buddy. Come on. Because I'm a great podcast host, I forgot to t- tell our listeners what we're talking about today. We're going to be... Uh, what are we talking about? We are, we are talking about George Lucas and all the George Lucas films and all the things <laughs> and the stuff. All right? So in, in lieu... Well, not in lieu of, but we've gone through all six of the George Lucas uh, made Star Wars films. We skipped yes. Clone Wars. Um of course, we've done. That's a good point. We could go. We should go back into that maybe after all of this madness is over. Oh, but God, um, <laughs> uh, maybe after I read the book and we can do a side by side analysis. 
Oh, that's a great idea. I mean, I'm liking it more and more. So anyways, we're going to talk about the the six George Lucas films and kind of the impact that they've had and the themes and everything. So for our Happy Beeps section for this week, we are actually looking at toy production across all of the Star Wars films and TV. So from 1978 (laughs) on to 2019. And here's my question for you, Drew. All right, hit me. You have 1978 to 2019, so you have lots of options. So think carefully. Good Lord. What year had the most toy production? Oh, my goodness. Out of all those individual years? Out of all those individual years. <sighs> okay, let's let logic this out. We know that the first couple years had troubled production runs. So, I mean, there was a lot that was produced. But we know that it got off to a rocky start. They had that whole Christmas collector's pack where it was just the cardboard backing and it said, save this and you'll eventually get toys, something like that. We know that the late 80s and early 90s were kind of rough, but they kind of kicked back up during the Renaissance. But with the Disney purchase, I feel like that's really where things accelerated. Well, that's hard to say because those prequels were, were, were pretty cash driven, too. Are we talking? All right, let me ask a couple clarification questions and see if we can uh, see if we can do this. When you say the most toys, are you talking about the most different kinds of toys that were produced? Or are you talking like the volume? So here's Just here's kind of the difference. Straight volume. Are we talking about? Okay, so you're talking about like there's a particular year that had something like six point nine million toys produced. Is that what we're talking well, about? Well, different or, types. Or talk- different types. Okay. So this is okay. So it's the former. Yeah. So this is like there were seventeen different Darth Vader's produced this year. Right, but it's not like broken down okay. into like but five you've got a total plus. Value of, okay, so you've got like a, on the in this year, several thousand different kinds were of, right. of, of toys were produced. Okay. Okay. That that helps. So now we're looking at a broad spectrum of characters, and I'm gonna say. That, oh, gee, this is tough. Let's see. Force Awakens came out in, what, 2015? I'm going to say, oh, boy, this is really tough because I want to get it right. I'm going to say 2016. 2016 is the year that had the most toy versions produced. You were so close. Really? So close. 2017. No kidding. Yes, 2017 had over 700 different kinds of toys produced. Uh, 2015 had roughly 630, 640, oh, and 2018 gosh. had about 690. So it, that's that's. So what is it? The top three years are just the most three most recent years. Uh, yeah, the top three is 2017. Uh, oh, 2016, 17, and 18, yeah. And that's, I mean... That's insane. You've got to consider the fact this is is all five uh, animated shows, all ten movies that are out so far, so, you know... Wait, all five animated shows? What Rebels, Resistance, Clone Wars, what am I missing? What did I say? I, you said five. Oh, Droids and Ewoks. They, that oh, yeah, because I'm sure there are a lot of Droids and Ewok toys produced in 2017. Well, I'm just saying they exist somewhere yeah. on eBay. Well, two dollars and eighteen dollars shipping um yeah no kidding all right so then here interesting here's another challenge which year do you think was the lowest number of toys produced now that is an interesting question i think it's going to be the opposite end of the spectrum though i think it's going to be like way closer to like 
79 is, is my initial reaction. Now, don't pin me down on that one yet. Um, let me think about that because Jedi came out in 83. It probably wound down after that. I'm going to say 85? 1985? Yeah, final answer. 1982. Oh, wait, by, what? By like a hair. 1982 really? and 1984 are like I'm literally moving my cursor as we speak, like trying to measure which one's lower. Really? Yeah, yeah. There was almost no a New Hope pr- production. There what? So when you get to 1980, uh, you have Empire and you have some a New Hope. 81 and 82 is all uh, Jedi, and then 83 you've got all three movies. But then 84 and 85 are only Jedi toys. There's no A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back. Really? So, yeah. Oh, interesting. So it was that 82 to 85. Well, really 81 to 80. Yeah. 85 is really the, the lowest years of production. Interesting. But here's okay. a, this, is, this is the interesting, the one that really caught my eye that uh, Bill pointed out, that toy production I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to read what he said instead of butchering what he said. Uh, he said the fact that the Lucas era movies still make up more than half of the toy production in 2019 and more than 30% of the toy production since the Disney acquisition. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Read that back? So, Lucas era <laughs> movies still make up more than half of the toy production in 2019. Okay. So, this this year that we're in now, the year of our Lord and Savior, Sheetrupio. And... took a a twist there at the end i was not expecting (laughs) um and then more than 30 percent of the toy production since disney bought lucasfilm is lucas era movies so one through six and clone wars huh so yeah pretty interesting wow that i mean yeah i mean it's really kind of crazy like because i'm trying to like reconcile those two statistics in my head so in 2019 Half of all the toys produced came from the first six films. And Clone Wars. And Clone Wars, sure, sure. The Lucasy fingerprinted whatnot. Um, but since the Disney acquisition in 2012, I think, you're saying at 30%. So at some point, the Luca, it seems to reason, although doesn't necessarily have to be borne out by the data, that there were years wherein the Lucas era productions generated mm, under 15% worth of the volume for that particular year when would that be like when when what years would the disney era productions make up 75 percent or more of their total production line um looking at it and there's not exact numbers on each so now come on we're talking about data this is important no 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 hold on of course this this graph will be posted uh along with the show notes but he's got it broken up where like each movie show they're stacked on top of each other in a bar graph so okay there's some of them that are are slivers and so that you know it's hard to tell exactly like oh, okay so that would very very thin and okay yes but now. just eyeballing it 2015 2016 like force awakens era is a lot of force awakens stuff and not a lot of original trilogy yeah and i guess that makes sense they they would want to try and push people into those new the, the the new films and really get their attention with you know having hundreds of versions of Ray and hundreds of versions of Finn and whatnot right as opposed to uh, 
trying to bring in the older characters and then taking attention away from the new stuff that they want everybody to go see in the theaters. So I can understand that from a perspective, from that perspective. Well, and even if you look at like just the films themselves, like there's a, I mean, there's a lot of Han in uh, Force Awakens, but a lot of the Leia sure. and Luke stuff is in Last Jedi. So, well, yeah. you know, yeah, so you're going to have more, I guess, a, a, a renaissance almost of, oh, there's old Luke. Man, I want this black series of Luke in the Stormtrooper outfit. Or, you know, just it, it's on maybe the more casual Star Wars fans' mind. We're like, oh, yeah, that was so cool to see Luke back in A New Hope. And I just saw him mm-hmm. as an old man or whatever. So would those even if the characters took place in the new film, like you have old man Luke, would that count as an, a, a Lucas era uh, no, that would entry? count as that would count as Last Jedi. Okay, but so what I'm saying is like it it might have gotten people more excited to go back and get like we were talking about before, maybe some of those toys they sure. didn't have when they were younger or the the collector's items. You know, like it it's like when a uh, you know Clone Wars will come out and, and there'll be a, a resurgence of Plo Koon. You know, it, it's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, Dave Filoni is going to make it happen. Let's be honest. The Plokunasans. The Plokunasans. I like it. I really wish we could make that the title of this episode, but it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. So, well, I can give you some Plokun trivia. Um, go for it. Back when he was first introduced, well, not introduced, but his first appearance, which I can't remember, was his first appearance. His first appearance must have been in Phantom Menace, right? Not Attack of the Clones. I'm ninety percent sure. Yeah. Okay. Back then. He was supposedly the only Jedi on the council who still had a red lightsaber. In like the comics Ooh. or what? No, like there was mention, and I can't remember the source material, so I may have just, I don't think I made that up. But at some point, he still had a red lightsaber. I want to say one of the cards had that in its flavor text or something like that. Let's do a quick Plo Clune. How do you spell? Oh, you know what? It's Plo Koon, not Clune. Yeah, I was about to say, you're, you're getting a little crazy with your L's there. Calm down. Well, you know what? Uh, okay, we'll have to come back to that because it's not immediately coming up, and I'm wondering if I have constructed that in my brain. I but feel still, like you have. I remember that pretty, pretty strongly. Like, Ki-Adi Mundi was supposed to be the only Jedi on the council who was still a Jedi Knight. He wasn't a Jedi Master in the Phantom Menace. Well, and he also he has like a bunch of wives, doesn't he, or something like that? Or he's allowed yeah. to procreate, or yeah, he, because there were only the the male por- portion of the his species was much more rare. I think he had something like twenty to forty different spouses, and he was allowed to visit his planet or his harem essentially, which is kind of depressing if you think about it. <laughs> it really is. That's. Oh, you gotta love the in-depth Star Wars information that we have. I just found out Yero Poof has no uh, spine. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, he has no really? spine. That might be why he wobbles around a lot. He's trying to just get his balance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just you know why they took him out of Attack of the Clones? Hey, why he's not in it? The more you know. All right. Yero Poof was in Yero Poof was in the Phantom Menace, but not in the Attack of the Clones because George Lucas thought people would get him confused with the Kemi Knowings that were just introduced in that same film. So he got replaced with uh, Opus Rancy, maybe the one with the snake body. That would make sense. I mean, does it? I mean, it's Star Wars. It all makes sense. 
Sure, it's all perfectly well connected and totally logical and linear. And there's it's no a, it's like retconning. it's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah. All right. Is it, are you ready to do this? Let's 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 take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about George Lucas and the George Lucas films. You don't want to talk about Operansis again? Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. and aliens from a thousand worlds Star Wars a billion years in the making and it's coming to your galaxy this summer. <laughs> All right. It is the snake one. I was right. Okay, good. All right, let's see. We are at... Damn, we're at 35 minutes already. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go long, you said. Remember uh, that? I know. I know, but... It's kind of fun going old school like this. Oh, yeah. All right. You ready to do this? One second. All right. I'm good. All right. And we are back, and we are talking about George Lucas and the George Lucas films that uh, that came out in the past because it's Disney now. So Lucas would have been... <laughs> I, I didn't really know where I was going with that. Lucasfilms would, of course, be the prequels and the original trilogy. We're not going to dig into Clone Wars just because that's a, a rabbit hole that we don't have time to go down. Um, so, And we're, of course, not going to talk about Solo or Rogue One, even though we have covered them in our top three, bottom three. So we're just sticking to the six Lucasfilms. And I guess I want to start off with kind of what was the impact that you think a George Lucas was trying to have in making these films and B, what is the, the impact that he did have in making these films? Hmm. Interesting. It'd be interesting to kind of compare and see where the two things are different. Um, I think that what he was going for is pretty well documented in establishing new fairy tales for kids, basically. Um, and I think that's a perfectly legitimate exercise. I think that's most clear in a new hope. Um, I don't know how much the series kind of got away from his original vision because there's all the stories about 
how he had nine films planned out in some amazing yellow legal pad that's in a storage unit somewhere. I'm not really sure I believe any of the whole, all of this was planned from the beginning stuff, but certainly the idea of storytelling was at the forefront of A New Hope. There's no real denying the way in which the characters' journeys match the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell's work, um, kind of detailing the steps in which major major characters throughout history in stories have all kind of taken, they all kind of follow the same you know, hero's journey, the hero of a thousand faces kind of thing. And, and I feel like it worked out really well. Um, a New Hope is a really good representation of that. I think it sticks to that really well and kind of supports that mythology and even became one of the examples that Campbell would quote in his works. So uh, what do you think? Is there anything, I mean, what else could there possibly be? <laughs> I mean, I think I think it evolved into that. I don't think Lucas set out with the intention of making new fairy tales because... No? No, because originally he wanted to buy Buck Rogers and make Buck Rogers. And he, they wouldn't sell him the rights to, to make the film, so he decided to kind of make his own. And, I mean, I'm not super familiar with Buck Rogers, um, but the basic serial format I don't necessarily think fits the the description of a fairy tale as we would think about it in our modern context. Okay. And a lot of, I mean, we've seen, we've read, we know stories from the original drafts of Star Wars, and it was very different from what we ended up getting. And like you said, a lot of that was because of finding Joseph Campbell. So I think he had an idea more of the feel that he wanted to go for when it came to the original trilogy, and then kind of worked his way to executing it, and then kind of tripped and fell in a happy accident into <laughs> Joseph Campbell and fairy tales, you know? Well, maybe. I think kind of like what you're saying where he had the vehicle by which to tell a story in mind, that Flash Gordon kind of space operatic adventures uh, mixed with the swashbuckling of you know, the Errol Flynn era movies as well, I think is all pretty apparent, especially in The New Hope. I mean, it's definitely his that film definitely shows the strongest tendencies there and maybe that stuff maybe the 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 vehicle to tell those stories was there and then just the actual message of the stories that he wanted to tell kind of developed as he as he put the whole film together maybe but i i mean the 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 way you have the pureness of all the characters everybody is not necessarily one dimensional but luke is the way he is and you know he is gung-ho for the good and and vader is the ultimate you know embodiment of bad you know and all of these kind of things are very stark and very clear in that one particular film uh that seems very very uh easy to line up against the kind of fairy tales and whatnot that he that the kids didn't have or well i wouldn't say that they didn't have but maybe just weren't in production as much as 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 um as in previous years yeah they weren't at the I forefront think, yeah and this is kind of like a new and i've always kind of thought of them as kind of the new fairy tales that came out of this time period um it kind of I think that pr approach kind of drops off as the other films come out. Empire in particular, Return of the Jedi, I feel like kind of returns to that. And the prequels certainly return to that fairy tale feeling to me in the way in which they are uh, crafted and executed on. Uh, but I think that Empire and Return of the Jedi, because they had so many other voices coming in and adding to the, to the story uh, in ways that I think that 
Lucas approved and some he did not approve of, really taking what he built in A New Hope and either building it further upon it or trying to take it in different directions. And I think that's kind of why those movies look so different from, if you look at all six as a whole, Empire looks so different from all the rest of those films. Jedi kind of returns to the Lucas helm and direction very purposefully, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and I think, you know, once you when you bring new people in, they're, they're bringing different, I guess, points of view and, and their particular style into yeah, the absolutely. Star Wars galaxy. I, I don't... I don't think, like, for example, I don't think Irvin Kirshner was trying to make a fairy tale. You know, I don't think that that right. dialogue um, was, was and, and, of course, I wasn't alive then, so if I'm wrong, like, correct me, but I don't think the dialogue was like, oh, man, there's Star Wars, this, there's this new fairy tale for kids, you know, like it is now as we look back on it with 42 years of, of knowledge and the hero's journey becoming more popular and, and people being able to, to talk about it on a grander scale. Um, so I think when Kirshner came in, it was more just, let's tell a, a, a good story. It was a much more character-driven yeah. story. It's much more what happens next. Yeah, and lives. and it's the... I mean, It's I think, not bad. I love no, it. No, 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 not at all. Empire's great. But I think it was like the three-act structure. I don't think Kirshner was like, oh, we're on this point of the hero's journey. Um, but I think Agreed. it, I think it naturally Agreed. evolved to where it does hit all of those, those points. And even if you go to the prequels, mm. it hits all of those points in just a different way, except for, of course, you know, the part where they become the hero. Um, he kind Anakin kind of, kind of dies there at the end, uh, on the bottom <laughs> of the rung. So let's go ahead and, and go through each of the six films and just do a quick discussion of, the the theme or themes that we think are most prevalent there and then we'll kind of look at the two trilogies uh individually and as a whole and see kind of what what connects these films so let's start with the phantom menace and you know much much beguiled but i love it uh where what do you think the big theme for phantom menace is well, that's really tough. Um, I I think that Phantom Menace is probably the film that changed in the most, in my estimation, during this whole multi-month revisit of all the films. Um, it definitely has kind of gone up in appreciation. I, I definitely liked it more this go-around than in previous years. So I really liked what I could find in Qui-Gon. I think that his character played a lot bigger role than I ever realized before. So that was a, a lot of fun to kind of rediscover that. Uh, boy, common theme, you know, kind of underpinning element that what is this film really about? Um, part of me feels like that one of the main things that this film is really trying to get at is how you make decisions. How do people, um, come to their conclusions and act on the decisions that they make? Um, I don't know because it's such, this film does not feel super connected to the rest of the movies to me. And and I mean that only in the sense that if you were to watch all six of these back to back to back to back, what does this film give us that affects two, three, four, five and six? And I don't think it's nearly as much as the other films impact each other. Um, we'll get to that as we go down there. But I feel like it kind of sets the ground rules for understanding the way in which a lot of these characters make their decisions. I think it tries to give us 
a frame of reference to say, okay, this is the way the Jedi are behaving. It's not good. The way they should be behaving is like this one particular character. And because the whole film is not acting the way this one character is acting, you will begin to see the consequences of those decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, because, I mean, I think the the angle that I would put it on it is really the difference between right and wrong. And I think that goes with how we make decisions because this is, I mean, it, it ends up having galactic impact, you know, um, but this is a, a, a more intimate contained story for the Naboo people. Um, and, and, you know, like you mentioned, Qui-Gon is this beacon of who the Jedi should be. And he does what is right because it's right. Like he doesn't question it. He just, he knows it's right and he does it and he has lines. He's not willing to cross. Like he'll, uh, he'll he'll wave his hand and manipulate the dice to make sure that Anakin is the one, uh, who's going to get freed, but he's not going to try to, you know, hold a lightsaber to Watto's throat to tell him to let Shmi go too, (laughs) even though probably that would have ended better for everybody. Well, I mean, he didn't come there to free slaves after all. Well, great. Thanks. What do you think about if they had, if, if you could go back and remake these, I was thinking, wouldn't it be better to kind of make the Phantom Menace kind of like an anthology film and call it like Qui-Gon Jinn, a star Wars story, break it off from the core story like Rogue One, like Solo and say, you want to know what really, you know, where why these characters are the way they are this is why this is where it comes from no i don't think so because i think like kind of like we talked about um in our top three bottom three maybe move it ahead five years or so i think the 10 year gap is a little bit too much i think tweaks like that maybe but i think in terms of the themes that you're going to be setting up in the rest of the prequel trilogy you need to start with a clear definition of what good and evil is um because that's what you did in A New Hope. Uh, you know, Phantom Menace just puts a flashier, you know, edge on it because it's the the era of the Republic. But I think well, I think seeing how easily evil in in terms of Palpatine gets a foothold in and is able to manipulate good people like Padme, um, who are doing things with the best of intentions but are not being given all of the information um, is a very powerful message of that. But... I mean, I think definitely Qui-Gon is the more and more you watch the movie becomes a more important character. And if you read Master and Apprentice, it, it really yeah. ramps that up more. Have you read that one? Yeah, I did read Master okay. and Apprentice. So there's the the scene in there with him and Yoda, mi- minor spoilers, um, where they're having the disagreement about about uh, the slaves. And Qui-Gon wants to do something to free the slaves. And Yoda says, like, this is not our mandate. Like, we're, we can only do what the Senate tells us. And I think that that the you know then when we get Qui-Gon in the Phantom Menace and he meets Anakin you know he has that that extra motivation of like I let this go once before and I can't make that same mistake again whereas the rest of the the galaxy is starting to to repeat those mistakes over and over again you know um and, and that's the big problem with the Senate I mean, yeah, I think you've got a good point there. I don't know that it it does kind of the same job that A New Hope does at all. I think they're vastly different in what they're trying to do. So I'm not sure I would put it on the same same playing ground as that at all. Well, I don't think the same playing ground in terms of, like, honestly, even the the weight of the story. I think A New Hope definitely carries a lot more weight. But I just think in, like, 
and setting up okay these are the yeah. good guys and these are the bad guys if you look at it in a trilogy style format um it it kind of works like that but yeah and that's kind of uh, that's kind of an uh, an ongoing struggle that i have especially with the sequel trilogy movies is how do we judge these kind of entries when we know that they are not yet in themselves complete and fulfilled are we allowed to and should we be able to look at them not only as individual films of two hours and a couple minutes a couple minutes in the end or do we have to look at them in context of the entire trilogy in which they are a participant therein like force awakens is a lot of fun it's great it's incomplete though you can feel it last yeah. jedi is great but i feel like there are there are portions of it you're like what are we doing <laughs> why are we doing this it's not giving us this particular thing you're giving us doesn't doesn't have anything for me to really chew on um but well, again, a lot of that comes from the fact that we don't know what the last chapter looks like. Now, A New Hope is the only film in here that was strategically designed to be by itself. Like, it was designed to be a self-contained story that completes the entirety of the hero's journey and gives us whole characters, whole events, arcs, completion, everything. It's, you know, start, middle, end. Done. Great. Wonderful. Like every other movie that we have, basically, you know, it that was its job. And it does a really good job like that of doing that. The rest of the the other five films that Lucas is creating are all chapters in a larger story, which makes it much more difficult to clearly on the on the film's individual merits, really give them as as good a grade as we give a new hope. Absolutely. I would totally agree. Save for. Empire Strikes Back because no 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 because I was say clip that <laughs> my ringtone I absolutely agree uh, you know A New Hope definitely was like supposed to be a one and done without doubt like history will yeah, tell us that it was designed to make that okay absolutely without without a doubt I think Empire is an interesting case because you know it was Star Wars 2 it was a sequel and you know in an era when sequels weren't a big thing like they are today um, and and universes weren't really a thing if, that's a good point if empire had fallen flat on its face there's no return of the jedi so you had to absolutely 100% agree you, you had to tell a story as complete as you could for a middle chapter and i think empire does that where i think if you look at last jedi and attack of the clones they're very much designed to leave you on a cliffhanger. It would have been yeah. terrible if we got Empire and we're like, oh, wait, Vader is Luke's father and we never found out anything else. But if it made $15, like they're not going to make Return of the Jedi, whereas Disney came in and, hey, we're making a whole new trilogy. Uh, you know, same with the prequels. If they had, if The Force Awakens had flopped or Phantom Menace had flopped, they're still making those other two movies. Well, okay, you're not wrong about that, but I think the one thing we're overlooking is the fact that Empire Strikes Back still expects the audience to have done significant homework before you watch the film. Like, if you're watching Empire Strikes Back without any kind of context of, of A New Hope, you do not get what's going on. Think about how crazy it would be when Obi-Wan shows up at, as a vision to Luke on Hoth. You'd be like, what is happening in this film? There are so many things that would not make any sense. Like, how does he grab the lightsaber? Like, what is that all about? Now, you do get some of the Force stuff filled in when you get to Yoda. But do, I think there is a significant amount of, of uh, extracurricular, extracurricular knowledge that the film expects you to bring in. Like, Now, granted, Star Wars is probably the one series where it's okay to presume that. Because at that point, literally everybody had seen it. 
So it's not an exaggeration to say that the average moviegoer was going to go into Empire Strikes Back with sufficient knowledge, having experienced a New Hope three years before. That's fine. But still, if by itself, in a vacuum, the Empire Strikes Back is the first and only Star Wars movie some human being ever sees, it's not going to work out nearly as good for them as it does for the rest of us. And that can't, I don't think we discount that because that it's still a part of a series at that point. If it cannot stand on its own, it only stands within the context of this is chapter X of Z, then it's, it's, it's difficult to judge that on its own merits and, and maybe doesn't, doesn't stand up again, structurally as well as a new hope does. Now, Empire is still my favorite one. After having watched all of these again in the past couple of months, it's still the best film. Don't get me wrong, but it does indeed lean on that um, that knowledge you have to bring into it. Yeah, that's I don't know that anybody else. I don't know that any of the other films expect you to bring as much knowledge and are as successful in at, in in ending their story in the same film. Like Phantom Menace. Well, maybe Return of the Jedi. Because Return of the Jedi expects you to bring a lot of information and it has to wrap things up. That's fine. But I don't think any of the prequels wrap up their stories nearly as well as the, the original trilogy films do. No, I, w- I would agree with that. So let's go ahead and move to Attack of the Clones. It's uh, a hot mess and you should just never watch it. God, I hate you. <laughs> Good night, everybody. What's the, So for me, the theme of Attack of the Clones is real love versus obsessive love you know i I think okay anakin has (laughs) that obsessive love which is very unhealthy whereas i think obi-wan legitimately has a healthy love for anakin um i i think honestly it comes down to that uh the the line when padme and anakin are eating on the the refugee ship and he says you know uh compassion is love what what's the oh um i'm, I'm compassion blank. or uh, unconditional love yeah he kind of defines this ah oh, geez now basically he says like unconditional compassion and unconditional love are the same thing and we're terrible star <laughs> and everyone, wars fans and everyone in the theater goes what no 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 they're not <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i think that's the thing is like where does love go from healthy um where, like, in, in episode one, we see, in my opinion, we see the purest form of love that we've seen maybe only before that, you know, Return of the Jedi, but but probably the most pure love we've ever seen with Shmi and Anakin and her letting him go. Like, that was mm, the most difficult thing he, she could have done. Um, and then to see that love lost... Um, you know, of course, when when Shmi dies in this, and and then how he kind of projects onto Padme that loss to the point of of becoming obsessive over her um, in a very dangerous way, I think is is kind of the message that Attack of the Clones is bringing us. Yeah, it's it's difficult for me just because the film also encourages us to accept the heroes. Like to say, these are your heroes. These are the good guys. And you can tell that they're all bad at what they're doing. Like they're not successful in in maintaining or establishing healthy relationships with one another. But yet the film uh, holds them up on this pedestal. Like these guys are great and you're going to want to be like them and they're going to inspire you. And it's like, but they're terrible people. Like 
they're not healthy at all. Obi-Wan is a terrible person to Anakin throughout the, almost the entire film. Anakin is a terrible human being to have to deal with. Padme doesn't look like she cares an ounce about anything that's going on. Um, it's, it, there's a lot of potential built into what this film needed to accomplish, and I just wish more of that made it on screen. Um, because I think that maybe that's what is hardest about this is because we know what the film needs to do. The film needs the audience to believe that Obi-Wan and Anakin have a close relationship. But the way in which it's demonstrated is a throwaway line at the very beginning of the film. And that's, it's like, we have a strong relationship and that's it. But, but then when you watch the two of them together, you don't get that at all. They only bicker and moan and whine about each other to each other. And then apart from each other, so that it really feels um, maybe the message of it is, like you said, kind of watching the ugh, poisoning of relationships occur. But it's hard to reconcile that with how the film also wants us to feel about the characters individually. I, I can't put those kind of things together well, and have it work in my brain. Maybe maybe then it's leaning more in the direction of like the fact that mentors fail. You know, because you have Obi-Wan failing Luke. You have the Jedi failing the Republic. You you have uh, Dooku talking to Obi-Wan about Qui-Gon and how he would have joined Dooku if he knew what was going on. Uh, and Obi-Wan's uh, not able to accept that. I mean, if, I don't know. That may be a stretch because especially when we have something like that, that demonstrated so well in other entries. I mean, and not... It, it, and the mentor-mentee relationship in Attack of the Clones isn't really one marked by failure. It's just marked by miscommunication. Because even in the example you give, Dooku doesn't say Qui-Gon failed. He says, I wish he was here. Like, I miss him. He would be a valuable part of this team. So it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a requiem of their, their training and their relationship. It's, it's missing it. It's not begrudging and saying... Like Anakin does, he's holding me back. You don't have that kind of broken relationship. You just have a natural end to it because one of them doesn't survive. So I, I, I don't know, man. I'm gonna push back on that. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. I, uh, it is hard to really pick out a theme for Attack of the Clones because, I mean, it does have major issues, even though I love it, but it. It really does depend on you to A, keep up with a lot of things that don't connect as clearly as you would would like them to. And it also does depend on you having a lot of background knowledge about the galaxy. Yeah, um, and, it, and it expects you to like not care about a lot of stuff that it doesn't care about either. Like the whole Sifo-Dyas thing is just like it's mentioned and gone and, and all i i remember being like oh that sounds really interesting how could a person you know be dead but he just placed an order for this massive thing like what's the story there like i feel like a lot of those things that really drove the action didn't get enough of the support that they really need in order to make kind of the cohesive story that some of the other films really do demonstrate pretty well so let's move on to revenge of the sith then and closing out the prequels what do you think? Okay. I mean, there's a lot going on in Revenge of the Sith. So if we had to pull out one theme, what do you think it is? Okay. I enjoy most of Revenge of the Sith. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun because it's daring to tell us a story that says 
sometimes the bad guys win in the end. I like that it's it it's willing to tell us a story where the darkness is overcoming um, what people think is the good. Now the film ends in such a way that says, remember, the next one is called A New Hope. So hope being an undying an unyielding force in the galaxy. We know that going into it, but I think that Revenge of the Sith does a pretty good job of establishing the stakes of why that hope is so important and is so necessary. So it goes dark, and it goes dark quick and fast and deep, and I really like that. So if you're going to boil it down, I think it says, I think you can boil it down to that darkness is hard and it's bad. It's rough out there. I definitely, yeah, I dig that. I think there is that that shot of hope that all Star Wars has, like you're talking about. I think that's something yep. um, that we'll get to again with Empire, and we're not going to cover it on this show, but Last Jedi. But I think the the big thing here, and I think our our two kind of go together, is when we put these heroes up on this grand pedestal, they can never live up to the expectation yes. that we place on them, right? Because yeah, absolutely. Anakin's the hero with no fear. If you haven't read the Revenge of the Sith novelization, like go read it. But Anakin is, you know, any clone is going to follow him, not just because he's a Jedi and that's what they're programmed to do, but because he's the hero with no fear. Obi Wan is considered one of the greatest Jedi and they're all over the hollow news. Like they are, you know, these superstars, you know, they're, they're LeBron James and Michael Jordan with lightsabers and they end up crushing the galaxy because of their failure. Like you said, to, to communicate or to, to quell that darkness. So it's a, you know, we've all been failed by somebody we looked up to, whether that's our parents or mentor that we had or, or whatever it may be. And I think the 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 fact that Obi-Wan continues to try to find a way to right what he did wrong um, as he stays to protect Luke and, and tries to, um, again, bring the new hope back into the galaxy. I think Yoda right. um, going on his, his exile uh, allowed him to become who we would see in Empire. So I don't think it's saying don't trust your heroes or don't follow your mentors, but I think it's it's saying, look, they're people too. Yeah, it's 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 that reminder of you've got to allow room for failure in yeah. these kinds of things because to expect a human being or you know a sentient being rather, if we want to broaden it out past humans, to expect somebody to be a god is just it's not never going to work. It's it, never going to work. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to them, right? Because yeah, it's not fair to the, to either of them to have those expectations or to try and meet those expectations because nothing's going to work. You're never going to be perfect all the time. Um, while we could we could try hard, we could always try harder to do better and whatnot. And and obviously, Revenge of the Sith shows us how people can fail on a spectacular level, um, to the tune of galactic genocide. Um, but that's kind of I don't know that the message is that it's easy to slip into evil because I don't think that's what it demonstrates. I think that it's a slow process that occurs under the surface. I think that it's trying to address how rot can creep into a system like that and into an individual, especially. Um, 
But again, some of the some of the elements in the film feel quick and feel like they rushed rushed through some of those developments in a, in individual characters. But overall, I think that the message is that there's there's truly evil out there, and if you're not on guard, it's going to get you. Well, and I mean, I think if you look at how quickly things happen, because Revenge of the Sith happens in a span of like a week, I think, uh, according to pa- like Pablo Hidalgo. I think, you know, you have the first two films going over a 10-year span. You have Clone Wars going over three years, so 13 years, um, which is, like, longer than the span of the original trilogy. And oh, yeah. it the the change does happen really quickly, um, Anakin's turn. But I think that's that's almost something natural. Like, you don't wake up and... and notice oh hey i'm uh i'm being a little bit more of a jerk today i'm being a little bit more evil <laughs> it's like one day you just you you've ended up in prison and you don't know how you got there you yeah know? that benefit of hindsight is not something that comes until years have gone by right and you have a chance to sit and reflect but I, that's one of the reasons i like the clone wars cartoon so much is because over those years and those campaigns that they're they're able to plant those seeds on a on a regular basis and show us that evolution over time, but we can see it. Obviously, as audience members, it's drawn to you know, it is drawn. Our attention is drawn to those things. Uh, very specifically, you know, think about something like the Mortis arc, um, and how that teaches us a lot about how close Anakin is to the dark side and how he handles his relationship to the Force itself. And that's really important for that character because it becomes such a critical factor when you get to Revenge of the Sith. The problem is we didn't have any of that going into Revenge of the Sith. Well, I think the one that sticks out to me in Clone Wars is the Zygerian Slaver's art where we first see Anakin use force choking. Oh, I remember. I remember watching that and sitting up and going, oh my God, they're going there. That's not the language I used, but I'll let you fill in the blanks. (laughs) Because it, like... Mortis, Mortis is huge. I think Mortis is, is bigger, though, for the audience because the characters... Yeah, because we understand so much more that's going on than they do. Well, um, but the, the characters are basically <laughs> forget what happened at Mortis. Um, you know, oh, I forgot about that. And, yeah, and that's the, that's the one thing. I love Mortis, and it's super interesting to watch as an audience member, but if we're looking at the character development, I don't feel like it does much for anybody other than Ahsoka. But... Interesting. The yeah, that's well, that's a. That's so you topic. hate the Mortis arc? That's a really hot take. I'm yeah, that's proud of you that's for, my hot for, take. No, I'm, I'm proud of you. But I think in, in a space where we're recording what you're saying, I didn't say I. Oh my god, I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> that's that's twice you said that. By the way, I quit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think so. Applications for host will be available on our website at. Uh, <laughs> I think the Zygerian slave arc of seeing him use the force choke, and then later when we see him pommel uh what's his name padme's ex-boyfriend i want to say ransom casterfo and that's not who it is because oh yeah was it not casterfo no No, casterfo's bloodline but you know who i'm talking about where he just loses it colvin or something maybe i I don't remember clovis clovis yes where he just and so that was cool to see like the the longer evolution of it but again like anakin doesn't notice it going on you know like it's an ends justify the means type of thing. He needs to to battle the slavery. Well, force choking this slave driver is how we're gonna do it. You know, I need right. I need to protect my wife. Like beating the crap out of this guy is gonna do it. And then the next thing you know, you're you know, like I said, you're in handcuffs. You're 
you know, struggling to get by. You have no friend, like, yeah, slaughtering it, younglings in the uh, Jedi Council. Exactly. Rooms. Like, I mean, it's happened to all of us. Master Skywalker, there are too many of them. What are we going to do? What? <laughs> what? Wait, hold on. Um, anyways. Moving on. Let's go to A New Hope. Um, I mean. I feel like we kind of crushed this one already. This is kind of your, your new beginnings, your hope reintroduced to the galaxy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we've okay. we've hit that one enough. All right. So All then right, cool. going to Empire, I think Empire is a little more interesting because it does have more of that dark element to it. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> so what do you what do you come down on? What's the the major theme of Empire oh, Strikes Back? This is it's really hard to kind of boil these things down. Um, in in my notes, I put life is rough, and that definitely describes what happens to all of our all of our characters in this film. Like everybody loses something. Nobody comes out in a better position at the end of this film. Than they went into at the beginning. You know, Han is frozen in carbonite. Luke is physically and mentally under attack. Um, Vader had a chance to reach out and reclaim his family, and he lost it after hunting him down for so long. Leia has no idea what's going on. She's just she's able to open up her how she feels, and then the man is taken away, and then she's like trying to recover from that. It's just, Oh man, everybody's in a bad spot at the end of this film. But I, I, again, I I like that there's honesty in that. I mean, fairy tales are great. Fairy tales give us hope and they can inspire us to great things. But I feel like we need warnings about what's ahead in life too. We need to be told that not everything is going to be sunshine and puppies because that's just simply not what's going to happen. There is no magic pill to avoid those bad days. And, you know, if you're willing to live with blinders on, maybe, but I don't really think that counts for anything. I think if you're willing and interested in living a life that's fully grounded in reality, then you have to understand that bad things are coming. And the question isn't not, you know, how do we avoid it? It's how do we manage it? Well, and how do we keep the hope alive, right? Because... Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you pick up and, and move into tomorrow knowing that today was terrible? Yeah, because, I mean... At the end of the day, like we talk about Empire ending, you know, on a down note, which it it definitely does in the larger scale of the story. But that final scene is very hopeful, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so I'm so glad that they keep that scene in there where, you know, the the reason that they have this hope is built on number one. They've come together as a team. You know, Leia and Luke have been reunited Lando's now been added to the mix. They trust him. It's a, it's a big, it's the family is still there. They still have each other and they have a plan, you know? So that kind of like coming together really drives home the message of doing this on your own is, is never going to work. The only way in which we're going to make it through any of this is if we do it together. Well, and there's also the element of, you know, appearances can be deceiving or don't just follow your first, uh, you know, first impression of someone because you have Han who originally looked at Luke as just this ridiculous little farm boy who didn't know anything. And now he's, you know, encouraging him as he goes on to fight the empire. You have the relationship between Han and Leia where in a new hope, you know, Han kind of, was being the playboy and and Leia was not letting her guard down 
and in Empire, you start to see that Han, while he still, you know, does it like nagging her like a little kid on a playground, <laughs> he you you can see that he cares about her more. You can see Leia letting her guard down more. I mean, the big one, of course, right. is Vader, supposed to be the most evil man in the galaxy, and he's our hero's dad. So I think oh. that element there of you know, appearances can be deceiving is is something really important because, I mean, even if you look at Vader, the fact that in A New Hope, he was the big bad. We got the mention of the Emperor, but there was no threat from the Emperor. And then in this, we see this dude who, you know, blew up a planet bowing before somebody else. Right, so right. It, it comes in all aspects in, in terms of, like, on the good side, on the bad side, in, in terms of right, in terms of wrong, in terms of what we want versus what we need. All of those aspects, I think, have an element of what you originally thought this was, this isn't. Yeah. From from like a, a story construction standpoint, I like that all of these characters have the same thing happen to them. It, it, they, they all end up, like we said before, they all end up worse off and they all have to play by the same rules. You know, they all exist in the same universe together and it feels like a very cohesive thing that's put together where there's no like grand puppet master behind it in, in this film at least you know there's not one person who's like everything has gone exactly as i have foreseen i think that's kind of a a a, a weakness of some of the other movies is that when you have one character who no matter what happens seems to be immune from consequences and uh, oh this is magically what he planned from 20 years ago i don't really think so it, it kind of takes away from what the other characters are experiencing because it's no longer as genuine anymore if there's an easy way to avoid consequences and all and the way in which to do that is to just be evil and snarky and whatever then that would only spur people on to follow in that same same footsteps but empire is really good at demonstrating no these consequences are universal everyone's going to run into um roadblocks and difficulties and disappointments and failures and all of these things that we all individually struggle against it's it's not individual it's universal all of these things we all bump up against and it, it's something we need to expect so what i heard in there is palpatine is a mary sue is that what you're saying I'm not really sure I have a good definition of Mary Sue anymore. <laughs> I know. I just like, like using it whenever I can because uh, it's so diluted. Oh, uh, no. I, I just yeah. don't understand anything anymore. <laughs> I don't understand. It, it, it's Twitter. Don't even try. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, I definitely don't understand Twitter. I think you do that already. <laughs> no, I think you're definitely listen, on point I, there. Listen, I am not good at the internet. It's just not. I'm no good at it. <laughs> So let's go to Return of the Jedi. Um, I think this one, I think, I mean, I think the the theme here is merchandising. Is, no, never mind. Um, <laughs> I think played, the, young man. Well played. <laughs> I think you have, of course, the, the element of the Ewoks versus the Empire and nature versus technology. And, and I think that's more of a commentary rather than a theme. So, so taking that one aside, what do you think the... <sighs> big theme of return of the jedi would be well i i this one is is probably again I, some of these films have really changed in my estimation in the past 12 months now that we've been doing this revisit and really digging into it and while the phantom menace has risen the most in my estimation return of the jedi certainly i understand fundamentally different now 
than I did previously. And uh, I think that Return of the Jedi, the main theme here is self-introspection. Self-evaluation is important and required. Um, Because of the journey Luke goes on in this film shows the danger of pride and hubris and thinking you've got it all together and thinking you're in charge. Um, I think this film wants all of its characters to stop, breathe, and look back at yourself and say, what are you doing? Because almost all of them have this moment where they feel like they're in control and they feel like they know exactly what they're doing and then it all goes wrong. Luke has this, I think I think Luke has this at least twice where he realizes he's made a critical error. I think he realizes it on Dagobah when he's talking to Yoda and I, uh, and I think he realizes it on the Death Star when when he ends up um, trying to kill Vader, essentially. Those two moments where everything has gone wrong. Um, Han is barely a character in this film anymore. But even Vader feels like he is in control when Luke turns himself over to the Empire on Endor. He And, and Vader feels like, yes, this is what I wanted. Now we are together. We're gonna, I'm going to take you to the Emperor, and we are going to make you one of us. And then when he learns that Palpatine is willing to sacrifice Vader in order to install Luke as the new enforcer. He feels so betrayed and now he doesn't know what he's doing anymore because no one has taken stock along the way to say what's really going on. So it's a long way of saying um, recognizing the darkness within, I think, and really self-reflection and the importance therein. I want you to understand how hard it is going to be for me to say the words that are about to come out of my mouth. Uh Uh-oh. I think you're right. Yeah. I agree completely. Uh, did you have something different already written down, though? No, I mean, different yes, vernacular. No, different. Do not lie to me. I mean, it all comes uh, down to one scene, uh, which is, you guessed it, where Luke throws away his lightsaber. I mean, he looks. I've heard of this scene. Yes, it's good. It's really good. Um, but no, I think you know him looking down in his hand and seeing himself becoming the evil that he is trying to destroy is is just the the epitome of that it's the exclamation point on the end of what the whole movie is doing um you know like each character has to go through this struggle of i want to be this hero what does that really mean right which is not yeah. something that the jedi ever looked at when we when we look at the prequels they never stopped to think should we really be leading this war um, should we be acting the way that we are acting? Are we being what we're supposed to be? Um, and that's kind of what our characters go through here, right? Like, are what what lines are we willing to cross and what lines are we not willing to cross to, to win this war, right? Because that's what separates good and evil. Palpatine has no line he's he won't cross. He will do anything um, sure. to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, like you said, what are those lines and and what are you willing to sacrifice in order to maintain the integrity that those lines require of you? Yeah. I mean, Luke was willing to give up his life for it. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot more (laughs) valuable than that. I mean, I think out of the six films, A New Hope and Return of the Jedi are the most clear cut in terms of their themes. I think the the rest of them, kind of like we talked about, they depend a lot on the stories around them. 
especially the prequels, so yeah. that it, it, it's all a, a larger story. Let's actually let's go back to the prequels and talk about like what do you think the okay. overarching <laughs> what do you think the overarching theme of those three films is? <sighs> Boy, I I think when you look at all three of those together, what I think the message we're supposed to understand is that evil can corrupt anyone because the the journey it takes you on from Anakin who's the pure good-hearted, you know, oh gosh golly gee willikers uh kind of kid up to you know slicing kids in half later on in his life. I think it's supposed to demonstrate that no matter how good you are, you are still susceptible to evil. I think that's probably the major message it's trying to get across. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and I think it it comes down to, you know, the I guess the plague of complacency, um, because when Ooh. when we find our characters in a new hope, or excuse me, in a new hope, in the Phantom Menace, the there's a lot of complacency um, going on in the Republic, uh, in the Jedi Order. You can see just like. With, when they when Qui-Gon brings Anakin and they're like, mm, I don't know about this whole virgins in the force thing, that would kind of mess with what we got going on here. The Republic is so easily manipulated by Palpatine to, to put him into a position of power. Um, and I think that that just continues to grow. Like I, like I mentioned before, there's no introspection by our characters. Anakin doesn't stop to think, what is it about Padme that I really love? It's just, hey, she's really pretty and was nice to me one time. <laughs> so and, and you girl, know obi-wan <laughs> obi-wan doesn't girl. check to see you know is he being a good mentor um at least in the structure of the films themselves i think we get some of that in clone wars and some of the novels ar- around that time period yeah i agree with that but too. yeah so then if we move to the original trilogy in contrast to that what would you say the the overarching theme is there now this is where it gets a little tough because i want to say that the the classic trilogy is kind of kind of stands in in opposition to the prequel trilogy because if the prequel trilogy teaches us that anyone can be anyone can turn evil, the original trilogy shows us that anybody can be the hero. It can, anybody has the cap- you know, everyone has the capability of the good within them. There's always the uh, the ability to come back from the darkness. Um, part of me is not super happy with making Luke an heir to the power of Anakin Skywalker because of that. Yeah. Like one of the reasons uh, Luke is kind of supposed to be is Luke is supposed to serve as an everyman character in the new hope because he's from nowhere. He's not important. His, he doesn't have his parents anymore. He's living under, you know, basically under borrowed time. So he's supposed to be an easy way for us to associate with him. So no matter where you come from, whether you think you're special or you do not, or you think you are not special, you can connect to this person and say, I have the ability to rise above my circumstances in order to become the hero that the galaxy needs. Now, if you give him a history that comes pre-prepared with, you know, superpowers and flying abilities and, your dad was once the galaxy uh, or, or the hero of the galaxy. I feel like that muddies that water a little bit. So it's hard for me to reconcile these two pieces together into one cohesive story that way. But I don't know. Maybe that's inherent in the story itself. But I, I think it kind of demeans the value that A New Hope intended to give us, you know, 42 years ago, whatever it was. 
Uh, I mean, to an extent, yes. Um, it, it does definitely take away that anyone can be a hero. But I think the, the main message, if we look at the prequels and, and talking about good can become evil, if we go to the, I almost said the sequels, the original trilogy, it's, you know, the anybody can, can be good. Anybody can make the right choice. It's It yeah. shows... The prequel show us the process of what it takes to be evil, while the prequel show us the process of what it takes to be good. You know, yeah, and, I, and again, I think that when you look at all three in the context together, A New Hope, Empire, and Return, all together, that's perfectly fine where anyone can come back. But that's not something that exists within the context of A New Hope by itself. At the end of A New Hope, the bad guys lost 100%. And we were meant to understand that's the end of the fight. So it's only when you add these additional chapters in do you get kind of that redemption arc added into it. Well, but I think there's a redemption arc with Han in there, you know, coming back to help Luke. So I think uh, it's I think it's present. I don't think it's the the forefront of a new hope, but I think it's definitely definitely there, but I'm not even talking about I'm not necessarily even talking about Vader exclusively in redemption. I'm just talking about like what's the process you go through to become a good person, right? Because how many people, you know, have we met and, and, and some of us have been where something goes wrong and we kind of give up on being that good person. Oh, it doesn't work. So I'm just not going to do it. Um, and, and that happens, all that bad stuff happens to these characters, you know, especially Han, Luke and Leia in particular, and yet they still continue to make the right choices. You know, they, they continue to, be willing to sacrifice themselves to be willing to, like I said, not cross those certain lines that Palpatine would willingly cross. And so it's, it's, it's showing us not just in Vader, how we can come back from the darkness, but with Luke and Han and Leia, how do we exist knowing that the darkness is there and not become consumed by it? That's a good, that's, that's, a, that's an acceptable, you know, rebuttal kind of a different approach to it i kind of like that i really hope and this is kind of like that with the way in which luke was created as kind of that entry point for the audience and and kind of the attachment point i really hope is why in the sequel trilogy i'm really hoping they do not go back and give ray a parentage that explains why she's strong in the force i i need her to be that nobody yeah that's my biggest fear about jj I know he's just he's so, it's so easy for him to make her up connected to the story that that already exists. It's like, no, what makes her special is the fact that she's from nowhere. It's great. It's phenomenal. It makes everybody uh, gives everybody else that entry point to say, I, I am like that. I can associate myself with that. And to take away that by giving her some kind of a parentage or some kind of a lineage that would give credence to other things maybe in her character, which I don't think, I don't think any of that's necessary. Just leave her the way she is. Yeah. Make it awesome. Just keep her flipping over TIE fighters and we'll all be good from that with that. I mean, JJ has said her, her parentage will be addressed, but not like we're oh, going really? to. Yeah. But oh, I mean, no, <laughs> I think, dun, dun, dun. I think you, you kind of have to, to at the very least say whether Kylo Ren was telling the truth or not, you know, um, just like you had to with Return of the Jedi, you had to have Yoda say I, that that uh, Vader was telling the truth there. I, I don't know because she's the one who says they were nobody. 
You know, he yes. convinces her to, to acknowledge something she already knows to be true and to, to verbalize it, to give it words, gives it power, gives it life. But I think that she's only able to really connect to the Force in the way that she does at the end of Last Jedi because she's able to make that leap. I mean, the dark side is very deceptive, but I, I think that like, her, her experience in that, that underwater cave was really important for her to understand that it's like your past is not where your strength lies. It lies right here today. And, and even the dark side is trying to say, don't worry about that. You've got what you need. And it's this. It's this vengeance. It's this, this, this. You can take a place in the galaxy. You don't have to be given a place. You don't need a teacher. What you can do is reach out and take it all on your own. That's what I think is so powerful about that sequence. Well, I mean, yes, absolutely. I totally agree. I think when you look at kind of how the original trilogy dealt with Luke's parentage, you know, you start off with a new hope and his motivation is to be like his father. Uh, you move yeah. to Empire and he finds out the the worst truth about his parents. And in Return of the Jedi, he has to deal with, okay, what do I do about that now? And I think the same structure is kind of happening for Rey where her motivation when we meet her is to find her family, which... She, you know, just like Luke finds Han and Leia, she finds Finn and Poe and the Re Resistance and everything. When we go to Last Jedi, she gets that worst truth, which is that her parents were nobody, you know, uh, who, who left her. And yes, she admits that, which is what's going to make Nine really interesting, because if it followed the structure, then Nine would have to be, you know, her dealing with the consequences of that parentage. But like you said, she's the one that said it, which I think is going to be we're, we're not going to get just another repeat of Luke finding out the truth about his his father. I, I I'm right with you. I don't want her to be of anybody's lineage. I think that is the yeah. absolute worst thing they could do. That said, because I'm on summer break for like another couple of days and I have too much time on my hands. I came up with a crazy theory. <laughs> All right. Oh, no. I absolutely don't think this, this is going to happen, but I want your opinion on it. All right, go for it. So Anakin was created by no, the no, Force. No, Hold, no, just go, no, Go no. with me. Go with me. Buckle up. You might want to buckle up, baby. All right. By Palpatine slash Plagueis, it's debatable who who did that, you know. Um, but he was created by by the Force. I won't even say the, the midi-chlorians. I'll just say the Force. Okay. Just for deep you. Breath, deep breath. Deep breath. Uh, so what if Luke created Ray? Now, I don't think he would have done it on purpose, but what if in, in an effort to quell the darkness in Ben Solo, he tried to do something that eventually created Ray to be the light to, to meet his darkness? So Ray uh, would be another virgin in the Force, another either virgin birth or or just being born out of nowhere. So she's nobody from nowhere. Wow, yeah, that's um, that's out there, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's real out there. It's not gonna happen, but no, I really no. That'd be that would be bad. That would not be cool. <laughs> I. I don't disagree with you at all. 
I, I'm glad you put your disclaimer on the front because if you were like, okay, I figured it out, guys. Oh, Get no. Get around, children, and I shall tell thee the tale. Oh, boy. It was just a crazy theory that popped in my head, and, you know, I was like, hmm, how would that work? Oh, boy. Again, too much yeah. spare time. So, so let's look at nine, and from the themes that we've discussed in Lucas's story, which one do you think is like, this is a lock, this will be a theme in episode nine? Um, I think it's going to be the overcoming the darkness thing. We're going to get a resolution to it. I think at the end of it, we're going to have one less dark side user um, living, personally. I think that's what's going to happen. Um, we're going to see the falling apart of the evil order. The regime change is going to occur. And I think at the end of it, we're going to have a lot of happy, smiling faces. We might even have we might even have a medal ceremony. That's what I'm thinking is going to happen. Ooh. All right. I, I mean, it would make sense to me. My, announce. if you think about it, actually, before you Go jump in, it. and I'm, I'm going to cut you off. If you think about it, it could rhyme with the Phantom Menace, where they're all standing, like you have all the characters lined up at the end of the film after a parade, and you have a giant glowing peace orb exchange hands. Wouldn't that be sweet? And Chewbacca just lifts it up and says, peace. And we're like, what? He could talk the whole he time? He could talk the whole time. <laughs> uh, my. He looks at the camera and goes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got some things to say. And then Luke wakes up. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to close this out with my one word analysis of what's going to happen in episode nine. Oh, wow. One word. say Ben Demption. I'm hanging up. Okay. Well, I was going to say that, but. <laughs> Rendemption. There you oh, go. It's oh, happening. You're, you're a terrible human being. You know, I've been called worse. <laughs> So coming up next, we will be covering, of course, the sequel trilogy. Uh, the Force Awakens yes. will be our next episode. So go ahead and get your rewatch in there. I have been having that film on repeat, trying to figure out how I'm going to limit it from 73 to three top things. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, and then, of course, The Last Jedi. And then sometime uh, in October, November, we will get into our episode nine uh speculation fun that we're gonna do so yeah that's gonna be a tough one because speculation does not go super well around here oh i mean did you just hear the theory i came up with it's yeah 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 i'm kind of excited about last jedi like after we got done talking about return of the jedi last time um and i've started really kind of unpacking who luke is at the end of that film and connecting him to his appearance in that i have a a 10 point outline of of connections and and issues and whatnot and and um, really digging into lines one at a time and there's something I've discovered the number of times that Ray and Luke lie to each other is really fascinating. Hmm. All I'm going to say about that. All right, little teaser. Stay tuned for more. You can find it at clashingsabers.net or on our Facebook group. Yeah, uh, give me like another six months and I'll have it all written out for the, the website. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be here by episode 13 of the film, <laughs> not of the podcast. <laughs> uh, we also have some well other big done. things in the works that I can't quite talk about yet, but you're definitely going to want to stay tuned. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Come hang out in our Facebook group, Clashing Saber Star Wars Community. Uh, yep. Tweet us at Clashing Sabers. Send us a DM. Write us a rating and review. Andrew, if they want to find you, boom. Uh, you, 
the best place for, uh, is the Twitter, even though I'm not super great at it. Um, it's easy to make fun of me, and that's totally fine. Um, I'm at the Drew Brett. Hey, let me ask you this while we're talking about previewing things to come. Um, how's that uh, scheduling of the interview that I want to be a part of going? I am working on it. I will tell you more after <sighs> we... No, no, no. Tisk, tisk. I'll, I'll tell you more after we hang up. Yeah? But I can't... Oh, oh. After we hang... Okay. Yeah. After, I'm well, excited. After, after we hang up on here. All right. Batch 8. I'm excited. What? Batch What's 8. That? What's that? Hi-ho. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different information on educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.